Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to our series of podcasts profiling the new MPs, the class of 2020. Uh, today, we are joined by Dr. James McDowell, a list MP for the ACT Party, um, and it's a great pleasure to have him in the elaborate studio tonight. Um, as a new MP, you're probably not well known by a lot of people around New Zealand. I think that's mm-hmm. fair, fair to say. Can you tell us a bit about your background before Parliament? Yeah, sure. Um, so the job that I had prior to um, becoming an MP, I was working in a charity, uh, in an NGO, uh, in the mental health space and homelessness space and that sort of thing. A um, little bit of a different direction for my life, but it was a very valuable year. It taught me a lot of things and gave me some sort of insights on the ground into um, um, sort of, well, obviously those that are struggling. Um, and I think it just helped me become more of a well-rounded, uh, beg your pardon, uh, individuals. So um, and prior to that, um, a lot of marketing jobs, um, IT jobs, that sort of thing. So a lot of digital marketing. I co-own a, an immigration law firm with my wife. So she's the principal lawyer there. And um, that's based in Hamilton and um, probably expanding a few clients here in Wellington too, I imagine. So you're the first doctor that we've had on this uh, podcast. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your doctorate, which was in marketing? What did you study specifically? Yeah, it was. Um, it had to be based in marketing because that's what my degree was in. So it's got to got to be continued on. So um, it's in strategic foresight. So it's basically taking marketing as a concept and um, doing scenarios basically um, over the next 20, 30, 40 years beyond. Um, coming up with ways, doing backcasting, um, looking at how the world may change and how marketing plays a role in that. So a little bit quirky, a little bit different. Um, certainly not something that's done a lot in New Zealand, um, but overseas it's quite a popular area. I know Melbourne Business School's got quite a um, big futures department there. So yeah, a bit of a new thing. Um, so what was your motivation to get into politics at this election? Well, I guess it goes back to um, when I first joined ACT, which was around... Um, 2000, I think it was the end of 2005, um, just as Rodney came in, one Epsom. Um, Rodney taught me a lot um, about economics. Um, he, he had a lot of inspiring messages at the time, and, and that's what kind of... Um, I couldn't vote in the 2005 election because I turned 18 in 2006. Um, but uh, nevertheless, I was quite uh, interested, uh, and um, I've been in that since then. Um, through all the leadership changes, and and um, that's been really good and interesting. Um, I won't say more about the past, um, but I ran in the twenty seventeen election and um, for Hamilton East, and that was very exciting. Um, and obviously, ACT did not do so well in twenty seventeen. That was pretty disheartening. Um, but um, no, twenty twenty was was our year. For me, I guess the the bigger stuff started um, in the wake of the uh, horrendous tragedy in Christchurch shootings. Um, it was around writing firearm policy on behalf of licensed firearm owners in New Zealand, law-abiding firearm owners, uh, which I am one myself. So I'm a uh, pistol shooter and uh, rifle collector and that sort of thing. Got quite a collection of World War One and World War Two firearms, um, and I just felt that the the law changes were very rushed, we use that phrase a lot, um, very misguided, they targeted the wrong people and one of the worst things I guess was watching the government really not understand firearms and making such significant law changes around them. So you know the language they use was incorrect, the, the terminology and all sorts of 
firearm stuff was was all over the place and 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 when you're when you're a firearm enthusiast you're sitting there going what are they doing you know what is this government doing is, is this really the quality um, of the people that we elect so uh, I wrote a new firearm policy and that evolved and I wrote a new version um, and, and that's when things really got going I guess uh, 2019 and then into 2020 uh, then of course COVID came along and, and the time was right um, I said to myself it's you know I really do need to give this a good crack so uh, you know, gave my pitch, and that meant obviously the party knew me. I've been around for a while, but um, everybody has to give their pitch, and uh, they uh, I was lucky enough to be selected at number six. So, well, congratulations! Sorry, that was a very long-winded answer to that. <laughs> That's perfectly all right. Um, can you finish this sentence for me? "Quote: The role of government is <laughs> as little as possible." <laughs> That's, that's a good, good way to put it. Um, so how would you describe your broader political philosophy? Where do you see yourself sort of sitting on the spectrum on both economic mm. and conscience and social issues? Yeah, I mean, I'm a libertarian, more or less, a pragmatic libertarian. I'm socially liberal. So I think the, um, the government has a very, very small role to play uh, when it comes to restricting people's personal freedoms. People should be free to choose how they live and what they do so long as they're not harming others, obviously. And, um, you know, economically um, in line with libertarian values as well. So, you know, all the good stuff. So you're the spokesperson for tourism for ACT. How would you mm. rate the government's response to COVID? In the context of tourism specifically? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tough one because um, there's a whole lot of different things going on. Um, the fund, I guess, is the main thing. And the fund was very ad hoc. Um, it was it was generally unfair um, the way they sort of picked winners and picked tourism operators to um, decide who you know who should survive and who shouldn't. Uh, I think you know I've had a lot of industry people from tourism coming to me and just kind of actually telling the broader story of uh, operators throughout the country and how much they're struggling. Now you know whether there should be a taxpayer handout at all is is a is a separate matter. Um, I think there is a uh, perfectly legitimate philosophy that um, if the government uh, prevents you from operating at your normal capacity for whatever reason, even if it's a good reason, um, that they need to compensate you as a business. So um, that's sort of where my thinking lies there. But uh, in, in terms of that fund, um, that was not so uh, not so helpful. And, um, you know, we criticised the photo ops at the time and, and that sort of thing. So, um, But it is a struggle. Uh, at the same, you know, on the other hand, you've got Tourism New Zealand uh, launching a big uh, domestic campaign. Look, domestic tourism is never going to make up international tourism. So it's just a, um, you know, people fighting to survive at the moment. You're also the ex-spokesperson for immigration. Mm. What do you see the future of immigration in a COVID world? Well, ideally, uh, we won't be in a COVID world uh, for very much longer. The, the reflection over the last, well, since, since March, say, my thoughts on Immigration New Zealand is that a very inefficient bureaucracy that treats people very poorly. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-immigration, obviously, being a libertarian. Um, immigrants add a great deal of value to our society. We obviously need to make sure that we're uh, looking after our skills' needs. So when it comes to perhaps immigration reform, we need to look at, I guess, the skills is the biggest thing, um, but actually treating people with dignity and respect and things like 18 or 16 to 18 months wait time from, a, from an EOI to being granted residency is just ridiculous. You know, 
I can't think of any other government agency that takes that long for such a basic decision. So um, uh, th th there's a lot to unpack with INZ um, and then with immigration policy itself. So move, moving to Parliament, mm. uh, you created quite the stir internationally by being the first New Zealand MP to swear your oath in Cantonese, <laughs> uh, over one million views in Hong Kong alone. Can you talk yeah. us through the background to that move? Well, uh, I, I guess there's a few different angles. So the, the, the primary one is that my wife, is um, she's New Zealand-born Chinese, um, and her parents are, um, I should say her mother is from um, southern China, so speaking Cantonese at home, and that's what she spoke at home, and that's what we speak um, more or less at home, so with our, with our daughter. Um, so we use Cantonese in the home. Um, and um, so, so the, the majority of that move was a, was a nod to, um, to my family. Um, to give them something to to find interesting and share. I mean, that being said, of course, um, people point out that I have written press releases during the campaign supporting democracy in Hong Kong. Um, so there's obviously no hiding that. And, uh, you know, perhaps there was a, a little bit of a nod to them as well. So. so overall, what is Parliament like as a place to work in? Yeah, ask me in six months. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting place. Having majority Labour government is pretty frustrating because it's, you know, we, we have to criticise and critique and, and you know, on the same token try and be helpful when necessary, make helpful suggestions to, to laws. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the government can pass generally whatever it likes, fortunately, unfortunately. So, so that side of things is, is a bit frustrating, but that doesn't stop us. You know, we have to do it. We're there for a job. The people put us there for a job. Um, as an organisation to, to work in, it's, um, it's obviously a very large organisation. Um, it's a bit old-fashioned and um, pretty slow-moving. So. Mm. so you also work in select committees. Are they more mm. productive than the, the stuff in the House that we see? Um, I'd like to say they are, but uh, then again, I've only had two meetings so far because that's all we've had in transport infrastructure. But again, you know, there is this worry that I have that the select committees may just end up being a rubber stamp um, they're, as far as I'm aware, they're, they're all a Labour majority and um, they, they just block votes. So, um, you know, the bills will come before us um, after the first reading. We have a nice opportunity to discuss as a group to, to tear them to bits and to get people to come in and obviously give their submissions. Um, so it's a, it's a great thing, the select committees. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, we have to argue uh, very hard to get the Labour government to accept some of the changes. What themes will be in your maiden speech next year? Um, well, I haven't finished writing it yet, but um, <laughs> no, I think um, broadly it's it's a bit of personal background, um, then, uh, you know, why you're there and, and um, uh, what led you there. Um, political thinking, I'll, I'll chuck in a bit of philosophy as well. Not too much because, you know, I don't want to bore everybody too hard, but, um, you know, maybe a little bit of Hayek, maybe a little bit of... Uh, uh, Rand, I'm not sure, but um, and and then a few other bits for the family, but we'll see, we'll see. Okay, so when you eventually leave Parliament, uh, what would you like your legacy to be? Well, to actually have achieved things, accomplished things, you know, to actually point to things and say, oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. So um, part of that could be, uh, uh, for for example, a members' bill. Um, it's always good when someone's in opposition uh, as an MP and they can say, look, I, you know, I wrote their member's bill and got a pass. You know, that, that's, that's a great achievement when you're not in government. Other things around improving laws that the um, government is pushing through. 
So, for instance, when a uh, you know when a bill's coming through and, and we say, look, we're just not happy with this, um, perhaps we can't stop it, but we can improve it. And that's one thing as an opposition MP you've got to do is try and improve things and then call out the government. So, you know, if we can turn around and say, look, you know, I, I did a good job, my colleagues and I, calling out the government on some of these um, silly ideas that it wants to push through, then, you know, think things that you can actually point to. At least one member of this office has picked you as a potential future leader of the ACT Party. Gosh. Do you have any leadership aspirations? <laughs> Who was that? Tell me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's certainly not in the thinking at the moment. Okay. One of the biggest and most unexpected scandals near the end of the parliamentary year was the debate on whether man, men should have to wear ties in the House. Where do you stand <laughs> on that issue? Uh, so my, my natural inclination is to, to stick with the status quo and say, no, we, we should keep wearing ties because it looks good and looks professional. But um, once you've done three days of urgency and you're sitting there in the middle of the night, you're going, geez, I wish I could take the tie off. Um, so uh, I'm a little bit 50-50 at the moment on that one, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm leaning towards tradition, but, you know, out of comfort, I'm going, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the quick fire questions. Mm. Uh, first one is, what is your favorite book? Probably Atlas Shrugged. I kind of guessed that at least one of the act MPs would say that. Mm. <laughs> um, who is your favourite New Zealand music act? I would say Big Runger. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? Um, probably Bill Clinton. And how did you get to meet Bill? <laughs> well, it's a definition of, of met, I suppose. It's it's come come within a, a metre or two and sort of waved. Um, that was in, um, if I seem to remember the year correctly, must be 1997. That was in Boston, and um, he was there for some sort of event, and I was a little nine-year-old, and um, he sort of appeared in front of me and waved awkwardly, and, uh, and so I'd, I'd probably say him. <laughs> this is the tricky one. Are you a yep. cat person or a dog person? Um, well, that's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I like cats. I, I'd say cat person. I like both, but probably cats are easier because you can kind of just leave them alone and, you know... You, it's not too arduous. I kind of misled you by saying that was the tricky question. This is the real tricky question, and it's the last one. Mm -hmm. What is your prediction for the next election? 2023. I think... Yeah, don't want to say anything I'm going to regret here. Um, no, I think um, once COVID's sorted, once the economy's in a bit of a rebound... Uh, there were a lot of electorates that swung around this time, obviously in 2020, swung to Labour. Um, and that, I think, was um, more about the government than it was uh, the electorates. But I do see it just tipping back um, and, and balancing out a bit more, you know. So I, I would expect to see um, National trying their best to get a bit stronger and having the opportunity to do so uh, once they sort their leadership stuff out, of course. Um, who knows what's going to happen there, but uh, I, I don't think Labor's going to do as well as it has in 2020. I think that's unlikely. Um, for ACT, I think we've got a marvellous opportunity. So yeah, I, would, I would be aiming for more MPs. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your time today. That was uh, Dr James McDowell, List MP for ACT, and you've been listening to the profiles of the class of 2020. <laughs>